scripture tonight is Matthew 4, 18, 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. One of the uh, gifts the Lord has given me this past year is a new friendship with uh, a brother named Daryl Arnold. He's a pastor of Overcoming Believers Church over in East Knoxville. They started about 15 years ago with about 10 people, and uh, uh, today they opened up their, their new building, which is behind uh, Vine, uh, with about 1,100 people. It was an old tobacco warehouse that they've turned in. It was uh, quite a service. Um, I got there an hour late and was there two and a half more hours. <laughs> it was just rocking and rolling, and he's just an incredibly gifted preacher. And at the end, he brought up, uh, he said, we've got a little testimony. He brings up a, a, a man and his wife from New Jersey. And the, to make it short, the, the lady says, I was praying one day, and I felt the Lord call me to somewhere beginning with a tuh. And so we sold everything, and we started moving to Texas. And when we got to Tennessee... Uh, I got sick. I went into the hospital. We started coming to this church. I got prayed for. I got healed. And then I realized that the tuh was Tennessee, and that's why we're here. And everybody's just, wah, and running. They have runners. Now, I would like to get that going in our church a little bit. When he'd make a point, one of the young ladies would just start running across the stage. And I mean, it was, it was happening. I've asked him to preach, by the way, here in uh, November, so... If anybody wants to volunteer for running, you can. Uh... <laughs> and then uh, the lady says, and, and then everything was going well, and uh, we lost our car. And, and Daryl comes up and tells the story how the man, uh, even after he lost his car, had been walking through the dark to the building to paint the, the children's room every night for months. And so they gave him the church van, and, and that was kind of the end of the story. And then Daryl gets up and he says, um, Brother, I need the keys back from the van now. And everybody's, you got to be kidding me. And then the back of the sanctuary opens up and a new truck drives in, (laughs) seriously, onto the platform, and they give the guy a new truck. (laughs) And the the runners, now there's about 10 runners, and and, uh, it's just unbelievable. It was just great. It was just great. And he says, you know, we're not going to spend all this money on a building and not care for our own. I'm like, bless you, brother. Well, I left feeling white, old, and boring. Um, and, and thinking, Lord, you never talk to me like that. I mean, tuh, come on, you know. I don't, I don't get that. Um, and, and it made me think about what we're talking about tonight and kind of want to rearrange it a little bit because I think a lot of us, when we think of callings and we use that word, we think that it's something very dramatic, like what I heard about today, that special people get. But the rest of us, not so much. Uh, in my tradition, or at least part of, part of my tradition, uh, was 
that a calling was something you, you got to leave the secular world and go into the ministry. Uh, you would be called out of law to go into the ministry. And depending on what part of the country you would add, you'd kind of drop your, the, the ministry. And, and you would be called out of law or out of business, and people would celebrate at seminary when someone would enter the seminary because they'd been called out of secular work into the ministry. Well, one of the things that we're trying to learn here at All Souls is, is that that idea of a two-fold or two-tier kind of call, ministers and then everybody else, is really not a biblical idea. Actually, that comes out of Greek Platonic thought and a whole dualistic idea that there are spiritual people and there's everybody else. That's not really in the Bible. What the Bible says is that we're all called. That everybody has a calling. Now, the passage that we're reading today is is a story about a historical calling, about how the, the early disciples responded to Jesus. But the early church used the Gospel of Matthew as a manual for discipleship. And so what this story did for the, the, the normal everyday Christians, Christians like us, was it was a picture of what it looks like to respond to God's call on your life. It was an example or an illustration of how to respond to God's call on your life. Do you know what God's call on your life is? Do you have some sense that you're walking in that call? I want to demystify it a little bit. I don't think it's always a dramatic thing. I don't think it's always a big thing. Matter of fact, once you've made the the capital R repentance and you've turned to Christ and you're walking with Christ, then I think calling is something that's kind of adjustable the rest of your life. And, and you might be thinking tonight, I did it one time, but I'm so off the path now. There's nothing that could do to get me back. I missed it. You ever felt that? Yeah, I was once, but I, I missed it. Don't believe that. Don't believe that for a minute. Every day you can wake up and respond to God's call on your life. Even if you did miss it, he'll call you. And so what I want to do tonight is to look at this passage a little differently and and ask the question, how, how do I find my call? What does it mean to respond to the call of Jesus in my life? Right now, today, tonight, what does it mean to respond to God's call? Well, as we've read the text several times now, and hopefully you've had a chance to kind of envision it. Uh, if we've got our little slide again, we can kind of remember where we are. Uh, this is the northern part of Israel. We're in Capernaum, way up on the top, on the, uh, the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's really a lake. It's about 13 miles long. Um, and that is where Jesus has set up the home base of his disciple-making ministry. And as Suzanne pointed out, he has been in Capernaum for a while. He, uh, John and Luke tell us that he knows uh, these men, Andrew and, and James and John and Peter. He could have been teaching in the synagogues already. They've already begun to kind of hear about him and, and be drawn to him. And he comes to them, and, and he, he walks up on the seashore, and they're fishing. 
And if you saw the slide last week, there's kind of an amphitheater, a bowl, that surrounds the Sea of Galilee, and so there's a natural sound system. And so they probably were anywhere from 100 to 200 feet off the shore, and they're throwing out a net, and that's a a technical term that's not used very much, but it refers to a 15-foot circular net with weights on it that you'd throw out, it would sink deeply, and it would scoop up the fish. And so they're out there in this boat, Jesus comes on this rocky shore. It's not a sandy shore. It's more like what you get up in Maine or New Hampshire. And, and, and he, he just says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, the first thing that happens, that has to happen for them to do that, is they have to leave. Matthew says, immediately they left their nets and followed the Lord. And again, it wasn't that they'd never seen the man before. Uh, In their culture, rabbis would invite disciples to follow them in an itinerant band, a school of discipleship. So this isn't as strange to them as it sounds to us. But still, it is an enormous call when, when the man comes to the seashore and addresses four people in a fishing business uh, who planned on doing it all their life, whose father is there watching, whose father probably thought that one day they'd take over the business, and this God-man walks up on the shore and says, follow me. And it begins with leaving. And leaving's hard. But you can't respond to the call without leaving. You cannot move forward without leaving. Now, for some of us, it might be a dramatic leaving. I talked with one of you this week, and it was a powerful story about a hard time in your life. You got into a difficult situation, surrounded by things that weren't good for you or the people that you loved, and you just had to turn and leave. And God was calling you to to leave behind that situation, to leave behind that group of people, to leave behind that path that was going to destroy you. And sometimes that's that's what it looks like. And that may be what the Spirit's doing in you tonight. You want, you want to pay attention to what the Spirit's doing in your heart tonight. You may be sitting there and you might, you know, you might know exactly what you need to leave right now. There's no question. You know it. You know that the community you're a part of and the direction that they are heading is not taking you where you want to go. You know it's time to leave. Now notice that Jesus doesn't tell them a lot about where they're going to go. He gives them a hint, but, and he's not going to tell you much either. Matter of fact, I don't find that he gives you many clues about what's next until you leave first. And you might be wondering, why don't I ever hear from the Lord? I'm tired of praying. I'm tired of not hearing anything. Why don't I hear from the Lord? It may be because you haven't left yet. And he's not going to say any more until you leave. Until you leave that relationship. Until you leave that destructive place in your life. 
But sometimes the calling is more subtle. It's not as dramatic. It's more, it's more quiet. And the things that we need to leave are, are more internal. Um, maybe God's calling you in a way tonight to something new, to a new place. Maybe he's refining a vision. But in order to get there, maybe, maybe you have to leave behind a belief about God that's distorted. Maybe you have to leave behind a way that you've protected yourself for years to guard your own heart. You know what that means. Maybe you have to to leave behind bitterness and resentment. Maybe God's saying to you, I've got something from your life, but you're, as Daryl said today, he said, some of you are stuck on stupid. (laughs) No, I'm not going to say that to you, but... uh, (laughs) Maybe you are. (laughs) And maybe one of the reasons you're stuck there is because there's this residue of bitterness and anger and frustration and resentment. Beloved, you've got to leave that before you're going to discern your call. You've got to leave it behind. can't respond to a call until you leave. You know, the, the second part of the story here is even harder because they, uh, James and John, leave their dad. And we don't know much about it. Mr. Zebedee, we, we know, he's, you know he's got this little fishing business. He, his wife shows up again at the cross. His wife uh, was one of the three women that were at the cross. And so, evidently, he becomes a follower. But, but think about what that was like for him. He, and that day, there's no Social Security, and so your sons are your Social Security. and They'd lived together all their lives for generations in that little village, and he had to let them go. That's, as Suzanne was leading us through that, that was the image I kept thinking about was uh, I kept seeing Mr. Zebedee's face. Letting those kids go. It's hard to let people respond to a call, isn't it? And you know, parents, even if you're young parents, that's what you're preparing these little ones for. Someday the master's going to come up on the shore and say, follow me. You better let them go. You know, too, it's all, it, it had to just kill James and John to look at their dad's face and say, Daddy, row in. I got to go. We want to please our dads so much. We want to please our moms so much. We want our family to be proud of us. Every human being does. I wonder how many of us are thwarted in our call because we just can't handle the rejection of our parents. If, if, I, if I did what I think the Lord's calling me to do, my dad would be furious. My mother would be so upset. My brother would think I'm an idiot. 
Leaving can mean facing the rejection of your family. Well, after you've left, and that's where it all starts, if you're going to discern your call, you've got to be willing to leave. Well, the next thing that has to happen is then you've got to be willing to follow. Literally, that phrase in the Greek is, come behind me. It, it's the phrase that a rabbi would use in talking with a potential uh, disciple. It's, it's this idea of uh, coming into a relationship with a person who has authority over your life and, and giving yourself to that person. Uh, there's a quote of a, of a definition that I thought was helpful today. Jesus calls the disciples to be his followers, but this involves more than following. It's a demand for full commitment to him. Going after Jesus is a decisive precondition for participation in the glory of the kingdom, but it means a complete renunciation of one's own will. To follow the Lord Jesus means for his disciples a readiness for the full surrender of oneself to the Lord. Once one has heard the call of Jesus, there's no going back. Discipleship means belonging exclusively to him. So this idea of following... it's a big idea, it's a heavy idea, it's the idea of coming into the, the word rabbi in Hebrew means the great one, it's it's coming into a relationship with the ultimate great one, and surrendering and following and going wherever he takes you, even if you don't know where. There's a a powerful illustration of what discipleship meant in the ancient world, um, from, from Socrates, a young man came up to Socrates and said, uh, Philosopher, I want to be your disciple. And philosophers often had communities of disciples as well. And Socrates said, All right, come with me. And they went down to the seashore. And, and then he said to the young man, Do you want to still be my disciple? And the young man said, Oh, I do, I do, I do. They walked out waist deep into the, into the surf. Socrates looked at the young man and said, Do you still want to be my disciple? And the young man said, Oh, I do, I do, I do. Then Socrates went over, grabbed the young man's head, put him underwater. 15 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute. The young man's thrashing for breath, thinks he's drowning. Finally, Socrates pops him back up. And as the man's sputtering and and gasping for air, Socrates says to him, when you want the truth as much as you want air, you're ready to be my disciple. That's what this idea of following the great rabbi meant in the ancient world. A total and an absolute surrender. Without knowing where you're going. And so as we think about calling, and you think about discerning your calling, and responding to your calling, and obeying to your calling, and yielding to your calling, and doing what God has put you in the earth to do, Yes, there's important questions about timing and training and gifts and skill sets and and, and taking vocational tests and the Myers-Briggs and getting good counsel. All that's important. But as a disciple, the most important thing is a heart that will follow. Where you are not in charge of your life and asking Jesus to sprinkle a little blessing on it when it gets rough, 
but you are following. And you are waking up every morning, even if you go to the same job and the same desk and answer the same emails or change the same diapers or visit the same nursing home, and maybe that's what your call looks like for 30 more years, but within that, you approach it with, I'm going to go wherever you tell me to go today. I'm yours. I find that very hard to do. I think you do too. And it was interesting as I, as I sat there in this church service and, and, and this afternoon it's very diver- it's diverse but it's it's much more of a of a folks on the struggling with poverty. Um, And I thought in some ways how much harder it is to be a disciple, to truly yield to God's call, to follow when you have resources. When you've got a pension and a mortgage and kids in college and you don't want to mess it up and you lost a third of it anyway in the recession... And you're getting a little bit comfortable now and you got a little bit socked away and you kind of know how life works and you've got your familiar routines and rituals. That's when it's so hard to follow. To let it down. To let it go. Uh, I had something happen this week made me a little, little anxious. I have this bad habit of when one thing happens and I extrapolate, and I think, well, if that happens, that could happen. If that could happen, that could happen. And before you know it, you know, the I'm dead, my kids are dead, the house is burnt, you know, and it's like, uh, well, it's just a problem with a lawnmower, you know, but it, it, so I had gone all the way down that, that rabbit trail, and I, I, was, I was feeling anxious about something, and then I was sitting in this text, and I noticed that, that my struggles with anxiety increase when I'm focused on how am I doing, how do I feel, how do people think about me, will people take care of me, is this going to end well, am I going to be okay? When I'm asking those questions, my anxiety goes way up. When the question is, what does it mean for me to follow him today? My anxiety goes away. I think that's because that's how we were built to find our identity in following. So if you want to find your call, you got to leave and you got to follow. I did that exercise this week with some folks that Suzanne introduced us to. It's a great passage to do that with and um, I just kind of journaled what I, what I heard, and it, it, she modeled it for us. It, it really takes about half an hour to do it. Um, and here's what I wrote. Follow me wherever I lead you, wherever I show you to go. 
and little things and small things and sickness and in health and victory and in defeat and death and loss and sorrow and grief and joy and beauty and delight, follow me. Follow me towards, and then he gave me four names of people, towards the city, towards the loneliness, towards the chaos, towards the fear, towards the gray, towards the cross. Follow me from the crowds, from the praise, from the noise, from the lower things, from the lesser things, from the bent ways of your twisted heart. Follow me. So a disciple leaves. That's the beginning of the call. A disciple follows. That's the next stage in the call. And then a disciple fishes. The last part of this calling is this fishing for people idea. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, follow me and I will self-actualize you. Uh, Follow me and you'll have healthy self-esteem forever. He didn't even say, follow me and I'll forgive your sins. He does that, of course. He says that later, of course. He says, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of people. It's a a different word for for fishermen. Uh, It has this idea of entrapping with a strategy. And so Jesus says, follow me and I'm going to give you this strategy by which you can draw other people into the kingdom of God. And uh, in the Bible and in the ancient world, the sea, the waters represented judgment and chaos. People were terrified of the waters. And so one of the things Jesus may be saying is, look, in, in this metaphor, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your life about reaching out to other people and drawing them out of the chaos and judgment of sin that they are stuck in and pulling them into my community. That's what we're going to be about. Beloved, your calling has something to do with that. And if it doesn't, you haven't heard your calling. If your call is all about, I want to be the best lawyer I can be. I want to have the biggest house I can be. I want to make a name for myself. Whatever it is, that's not God's call in your life. That's coming from your ego, from your flesh. That is not coming from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who will bring you the call of Christ on your life, is going to call you to be involved in healing other broken people's lives. Somehow, some way. It'll go back to relationship. And that'll look different for all of us. But it has something to do with other people. And I think this is a hard thing to struggle with, especially when you're just starting out in life and you're trying to make a name for yourself and you're trying to prove yourself and you're trying to earn your stripes and all those things that young people do and those are all important things, but, but don't be deceived. That's not your calling. Proving yourself, showing your dad you can do it, ain't your calling. Showing that you can do a better job than they did. It's not your calling. 
And I know some of you are having a terrible time finding that special place in the world that you think God's got for you and you're anxious and you're embarrassed and you feel underemployed and you talk about it all the time to the Lord and and when people ask you what you're doing, you don't quite want to say it. I get that. Been there. But that's not your calling. Your calling has something to do with fishing. And until you can define it that way, You don't know your calling. How do we discern a calling in our lives? We leave. We follow. And we fish. Let's pray. Thank you.